In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Please be seated. Martin Luther, in one of his many sermons on the text we have just heard, writes this. Now Christ's wish is that none be forced, but they be permitted to follow from willing hearts and of their own desire, not out of fear, shame, or strife. When their hearts are taken captive, captive that is, by Christ and by the pure word of God, then they will surely come of themselves. The heart is at the heart of Anglican theology, and it's at the heart of Anglican theology because of Luther. Luther's famous saying written into Cranmer's commonplace book was, what the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind comes along later and rationalizes it. We go where our hearts lead us, ultimately. And the gospel is a matter of the heart above all. The heart set free by the word of God. And it is the word of God and the voice of God that speaks to us through that word as a shepherd to his sheep that sets us free. And set free and only set free are we able to hear that word and in that word the voice of the shepherd. Now it is not only through scripture Having said this, however, that God speaks to us, that we hear the voice of Christ the shepherd. But having scripture as our template, we are invited to hear the voice, that voice, that shepherd's voice, guiding us through every way and byway of every day of our lives, this side of glory. And God puts no limit on Christ's capacity to guide us. He puts no limit on the size or scope of that in which he guides us. The only limit is the limit we place ourselves in our capacity to hear. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Knowing that voice then, and scripture helps us to distinguish that voice from all the other voices we hear in our hearts, and the most threatening voice is so often the voice of our own ego. Knowing the shepherd's voice is the prerequisite to following it. Knowing it, recognizing it, distinguishing it then from those others, and then acting upon what that voice calls us to do. Because when God, like the shepherd, calls to us, it's always for one reason, to get us moving. Shepherds only call their sheep when they want their sheep to move. Otherwise, the sheep would stop listening to them. It's the same with God. He's calling us to do something that he's setting in the depths of our hearts, and he expects us to obey that moment and do what he calls. The response that we make, and this is one more thing, as he calls us to join him in the work that he is about in this world, the response of obedience will also turn us about from the inside out. As we transform the world, in other words, following his voice, 
His word transforms us. And we, in turn, take that transformed heart and mind and engage it with the suffering around us, not just within us. This takes guts, the courage to go out this door every Sunday and seek the signs of God's transforming work where it is needed most and God's work is usually needed most in the last place on earth that we want to go. To hear his voice as he leads us out of the safety of the enclosure then, for there is no pasturage within the enclosure, and to hear his voice as he leads us back in, in and out, and that is his rhythm. Henry Blackaby writes, Secular thought says to protect your interests. It's the voice of this world, the voice of our own ego, internalizing the voice of the world around us. Secular thought, the popular received wisdom of this world, says to protect your interests. Jesus says, try to save your life and you're guaranteed to lose it. Human reasoning instructs you to know your limitations and live within them. God says he will do the impossible through you. The world says work to your strengths. God says he works best in your weaknesses. The world speaks to affirm your action, but God speaks to change your life. The world lives for personal excitement, but finds emptiness. And yet, ironically, there is no more exciting way to live the abundant life than a life lived God's way. And those who go God's way go because he calls them. And they've lived a life learning to hear his voice, to tune into it and respond, and not to tune it out. They know his voice, and God knows his sheep by name. A little story. When I was in Iceland with our son Eric in the East Fjords in Breitdalsvik, visiting our long-lost cousin, Björn Björnvinsson, we were in the purest, most pristine pasture land on the planet. There are more sheep in Iceland than there are people. And the sheep have the run of the whole country. Most of the shtadir, or farm houses in their land, were settled by the middle of the 13th century. And the flocks that belong to these shtadir are still notched in their ears in a system dating back to the 13th century. But when they're released from their barns, when the weather turns good, they're given run of the entire nation, and there are no fences that divide farm from farm. You see them everywhere in the country. In November, when winter is approaching, the sheep are rounded up and sorted out again, and they're all mixed together. And it's up to the shepherds to sift them out. And you don't have time to look at their ears for a notch. They have to know your voice. And they have to know you by sight and by voice. Bjorn showed us a notebook of which he had three copies in which inscribed in his practiced cursive script were the names, birth dates, habits, idiosyncrasies, and likely locations of each of his herd of approximately 500 sheep. 
You could read the names Gunnar, Thoro, Bjorn, etc. <laughs> now, there are no wolves in Iceland, no predators, so it makes the shepherd's job a little easier. But you see those pictures when a volcano erupts and suddenly the shepherds have to get their sheep inside. The urgency on their faces, the love, they have to know their sheep, they have to have those sheep respond. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Björn showed us those books and he said, do they do this in your country? They're lucky if they get a number in our country, I said. Well, what's in a name? Everything. Everything about you and I that is known to him. And everything he says to you and I, to each of us, is specifically for each of us as well. When he speaks to you and I, he does not broadcast. He does not send out Facebook posts he is making flung into cyberspace. He writes to us personal notes in his own cursive hand. And so, although there are basic principles with which Scripture equips us to discern the voice of God from other voices, it's these principles which have to be applied to very specific circumstances, for it is only in specifics that God deals when he speaks to us. Intimate details addressed to the precise time and place and situation in which he encounters each of us and issues his invitation. And that invitation, as I say, is to be obeyed at that moment. God doesn't send out junk mail en masse to whom it may concern. God's invitation is meant for us and only us. And if we let it go, and pass it by, that invitation will go unanswered. So this gives God's voice a certain tenderness, but also a certain urgency. Like the shepherd, when God says, move, there and then is the time to do it. It could be a matter of life and death. You can call it obedience, if you please. God certainly does. Or simply responsiveness. How one reacts to the voice of one whom one loves and has learned to trust. Now that God is often taking us back and forth again from the safety of that enclosure out to the open field where he is promising us also safety, if you like, but we have to be able to eat freely without worrying about advancing predators. He invites us to respond. If we trust him when he calls us back to the enclosure, that tight space with its one way in and no way out, before we've had our fill in the pasture, that place that puts a dead end so often to all we hoped for and dreamed of, that place which asks us once again to surrender the hopes we had for that day or for our lifetime, we will be surprised at the transformation that follows the vistas that suddenly open, and the impetus to the path that suddenly is set forth. Hearing his voice then and following it, that path that leads us to life so often feels like dying, is what I am saying. But when we trust him and follow his invitation, come what may, we discover that his best for us is not just better than what we had in mind for ourselves, it's also different. That takes getting used to then. 
It's not so much that God is asking us to do good and what the world is offering us is clearly evil. I mean, that's kids' stuff. Rather, it is that the world is asking for what's good, but God is offering to us what is best. But what's best is so often better than anything we can do on our own, for sure, and often different enough to seem to us initially very daunting or maybe even unappealing. But as we learn to trust God, we learn to know that it's his voice that has put that desire on our hearts. And he will keep whispering until we go. And if that whispering stops, then we have to stop and wait until we can hear it again. So only God can call us. There's no limit to what he can ask us to do. The limit is what we set. When he asks us to do something, we must obey. And God will give us another chance, usually to do something a lot bigger and more daunting. But the chance always starts with his invitation, not ours. God asking us to do what he wants, not, heaven forbid, us asking God to do what we want. Unless that desire is so deeply implanted in our heart that the two are the same. That's the goal that Luther saw. That's the place that Luther knew And that's the place that we all get tastes enough of, that it's the place we want to live. At any rate, so it must have seemed daunting too, not just to the disciples, but to those who followed them in the church. We think of the disciples that we heard about in Acts, being called together and challenged to give up everything they owed to sell it to the poor or share it equally among themselves. We think of all those Christian communities that followed them that exacted exacted just the same thing from their members. Total surrender of everything that marked out their identity as who they were in the world. What seemed like the loss of everything that they were, their very being, in fact, became the open door to freedom. For them to be what? and who they really were all along. Let us then, who take our name from Christ himself, expect nothing less of the new life he has given us to live right now, and to which he calls us one-on-one, moment-by-moment. Let us, above all, seek to learn to listen to his voice at all times and in all places, to hear it, to understand it and respond. And in that, let us discover again and again an abundant life that nothing, that no voice in this world can lead us to. Amen.